grab it by the base are you so smart and then twist it and shake it violently it's all about grabbing the base really putting it where you want it you sure about that shake it violently part <laughs> what, what are we talking about i don't want to damage your microphone over here what oh thank you needed to clarify which podcast we were on <laughs> welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. We are on episode 57? Something like that? Something. But we're here talking about Paper Girls, trade paperback number four. Four. That's right. <sighs> it's an exciting time to be a paper girl. It is. And this has probably been my favorite of all the ones we've covered so far. Yeah, I think so for me too. It was, it was a good one. I mean, they've all been good, but yeah, this was a good one. This was a fun one. I think it's helpful now that we're starting to get a lot of information. Things are starting to unfold. There's less, you know, of kind of a mystery and trying to clarify who the characters are. You know, we kind of have all that groundwork laid so we can kind of get into the real work. And things are still coming together beautifully. When there's a mystery as, as sprawling as this, I always there's always a fear that they're just kind of throwing out mysterious things and that just to see what sticks and really at the little details that are getting picked up and brought back together really is I'm geeking out over it. It's a good time. Really cool. Do you want to give them our spoiler policy? So spoiler policy, this is the last available as far as I know, trade paperback for paper girls. So we are going to spoil the crap out of it. So that's pretty much it. Other books and series are, you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, it's a potluck over here. I don't even know. So there are additional episodes that are out since this trade paperback has come out, the individual episodes. I know 21 is out. Uh, I I think 22 as well. But we won't get the next actual trade paperback until December 11th of 2018. So we are quite a way quite a ways away from being able to get into Paper Girls number five. Right, and we will not be covering that until the trade paperback comes out. Yeah, because we don't, we we are trade paperback snobs. That is how we read comic books. Anything that simplifies our life and keeps less, makes less things for us to have to keep track of is a positive. Well, and regular issue comics just don't last as long around here. Yeah. They just tend to get shredded. So. It's true. There's that. Agreed. All right. So let's get into the meat of what we came here to discuss. So in Trade Paperback 4, there it covers the, the comic volumes 16 through 20. So we're going to start with episode 16 or volume 16, I'm going to give a quick synopsis of the plot, and then we'll talk about it. And we'll do that for each of the individual volumes. So, volume 16. So, in volume 16, Tiff 
finds herself in front of a burned-out Applebee's on New Year's Eve 1999. She quickly gets nabbed by a police officer and suspected of looting. He doesn't believe her, of course, when she tells him she's a time traveler, nor when she tells him that there are giant transformer-looking robots in the, uh, that are battling in the sky. One of the robots crushes the police car. The other girls follow a clue left in the comic section of the newspaper and make their way to the comic author's house, who is Charlotte. Charlotte tells them she knows there are time travelers and she is their biggest fan. Meanwhile, a younger version of Grandfather is tracking someone, probably the future teens, through the folding. So this was kind of a setup. It's interesting how they can manage to keep you know, the story comic by comic by comic, but also kind of keep the themes within the trade paperbacks consistent. So we're sort of starting a new chapter here and a new arc that's focused on Tiffany. Right. And there's some nice visual symbolism right off the bat. The first frame is a close up on the apple of the Applebee's logo. We see a lot of apples. We do. thought that was kind of a nice way to open up. Also, for me, like the big red dots on grandfather's forehead and the back of the Prioris's headdress and just everything associated with the old timers is kind of the color red and those big red yeah. dots that are reminiscent of apples. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting also just from a visual aspect that you rarely ever get a really true blue color in anything you know the skies are more purple when you do get blues it's more of a periwinkle Uh, there's always just a hint of red to it there's you don't really get a lot of actual like really saturated true blues in the comic right and uh, visually for me too charlotte's bulletin board stood out when the girls go to the comic author and mm-hmm. she takes them in and says, I'm your biggest fan. There's this, this bulletin board behind her that has like, you can see sketches of heck and Naldo and just all this like weird, like conspiracy theory looking stuff behind her. And her glasses are orange and they really stand out. They do. The other thing that the thing visually that stands out to me in in the basement with Charlotte is the actual Apple iMac model that they use. It's not orange, it's tangerine. But when you go down and you look in that frame, you, you can see that it's like, it sits in a frame where all the rest of the colors are fairly subdued, but it has this bright orange. Yeah. It really pops. Yeah, absolutely. And then to have, Charlotte's glasses be the same color. It's interesting that kind of associating the the teenager's technology with that color. Yeah. Grandfather's technology with the red circle. It's just kind of cool. It is. Like little things you can add to a story you can't really do in any other medium. So another thing I thought was cool was uh, Grandfather asking the Prioris, his first conversation with the Prioris when they're talking about tracking these teenagers through the folding and why are they tracking them and kind of what they're about. And he's they're walking through this room with all of these, looks like big stasis boxes. And they have like a woolly mammoth and yeah. different dinosaurs and things. And he asks her about the Quetzalcoatl. 
And are they ready for combat? And she says, no, they're not ready. And that's what we saw his soldiers riding in the first episode. Yeah, that was kind of a cool tie in. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. It's an interesting choice for them to have to be the sort of conservative, for lack of a better word, party who want to preserve all the past timelines and to have one of their main sort of devices and the thing you consistently see them paired up with be dinosaurs. Right. I mean, they're called the old timers. Yeah. So they're they're riding dinosaurs. Yeah. And later we see on the nose, it's a little on the nose. Yeah. But it's not, it's never really, I mean, it's sort of always there kind of in the background going on. You know, it's not like we ride these dinosaurs because we will destroy because we're old timers. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what about like character development wise? What did you notice the most? So one of the scenes that I like, and it's it kind of calls back to an earlier episode, but it's where Tiff is being sat down by her parents and being told it's right after she's been told that she's adopted. And they give her a sort of a peace offering, I guess, for lack of a better word. They give her an Atari and she sits down and starts playing through these video games. Um, And it's interesting to me that we can sort of, we start to see some of the same visual elements that we saw in that prior one as well, where she talks about how she wasted all this time. And here I think you can kind of see the beginning of where her mind sort of fragments and and builds this connection with video games and technology around this very pivotal emotional event for her. That really stuck out to me too. And I thought it was so cleverly done that, like you said, in a previous issue, um, she had her life flashed before her eyes and it was just her playing the same like Pong-like video game over and over and over as Arkanoid she, or something? Ar- Arkanoid, I think we figured yeah, out yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. Through all these different milestones of her life, she's playing Arkanoid and yeah. she kind of realizes, oh my gosh, what have I done with my life? And here's her being given the, her first video game and like you said, associating it with this huge emotional moment. And I just repeated what you just said, but it was cool. So I think it was worth saying twice. Yeah, Yeah, it was really neat. I also really liked, um, it's a small moment, but Aaron carrying around the entire phone book because she doesn't want to rip out a page and damage a a book. book. A book? (laughs) That's right, Aaron. We appreciate that. The other thing I think is interesting in the TIFF storyline is we get to see her dad for the first time. That's right. And... It's, I'm actually just kind of doing this now for the first time, so bear with me. But we're going we're gonna to meet somebody who is very important to Tiff later, not much later. And I'm trying to look and see if there are some similarities, but we'll talk about that more when we get there. Cool. So number 17, actually, do you want to read at the end of each of these? Yes. There's a quote from an an actual news publication that came out at the end of 1999 surrounding the Y2K bug. And I just thought it was really clever. Yeah. And every, every one of these trade paperbacks sort of as the transition break between the volumes, there's always something interesting or could be something graphic or what have you. But in this case, since most of the events around this center around new year's Eve going into the year 2000, 
there's all these real quotes from real publications highly alarmist about Y2K, which we it's can all laugh hilarious. at. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. So the first one says, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to read it the way the text comes across. Yeah, do it. The end of the world. Y2K insanity. Will computers melt down? Will society? Time Magazine cover, January 18th, 1999. From Time Magazine. Slow down on the all caps there, Time. Yeah, right. Take off your cap locks, brah. And if you look up, you can find that image online of that cover, and it's it's like Jesus standing in the middle of the road and things just <laughs> melting down around him. I mean, it's the image is just as alarmist as the text. It's it's pretty funny <laughs> to look back at now because we know that computers did not melt down. They did not, no. We were all okay. Yeah, it was kind of a... I was sitting in my living room drinking beer, just waiting. Kind of much ado about... I was a about... little disappointed, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't at all prepared. You weren't? You, no. you didn't. You didn't do any preparations no for Y2K? No preparations. I didn't not even have cash in my wallet. That's funny. You're I'd such, have been totally screwed. You're such a prepper now. I am. Bug out bag and everything. All right, so... Number 17. Number 17, before we get into your... Talk about my bug out bag. Exactly. So in number 17, we start with the scene where Tiff is in the car, the car that, as we mentioned, was destroyed. She's stuck in the middle of this robot battle, manages to free herself and the officer, grabbing him and dragging this probably 240-pound man. Inside the robots, we see Heck, Naldo, and a character, Jude, that we did not previously know his name. And in an older-fashioned robot, we see Grandfather and the Prioris. Tiff makes it back to her parents' house, just as the amnesia bots are taking the field, but she finds some weird goth dude standing in her living room. Charlotte, who is Chuck, who is the cartoonist, realizes the girls are just displaced civilians. She lays out two sides of the war, but then tells them that they know too much and points a gun at them, and then we're at the end of that episode. Yeah, so Charlotte's like, let me tell you everything. Oh, wait, you know too much. Wait a now. minute. I, I told you everything. <laughs> that was a little... Not, that character is... Yeah, not a lot of forethought there. Kind of a dick. Chuck, who is Charlotte. <laughs> so, yeah, so we begin with Tiff kind of waking up and coming to after the accident. So here we get a better glimpse of the two different robots... And we have the robots for the 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 progressives, the young, the young the teenagers, the teenagers, and it it's uh, this very modern looking sort of thing. I I spent a lot of time thinking about these robots, probably more time than I should, because they're not real. But I did it anyway uh, because it was fun. So the their robot looks sort of like the Terminator, for lack of a better word, like the. The, yeah. the metal robot underneath of the Terminator. Yeah. Um, and then I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the robot for the old timers reminded me of. It was, I mean, I spent a lot of time on Google image search searching for giant robots. So 
I did eventually figure it out, and it's it reminds me of Shockwave from the original Transformers Decepticons. It does look like a Decepticon, like an old school 80s Decepticon. Yeah, exactly. Which, um, you know, again, just interesting kind of visual juxtaposition between the two different styles of robots. And I really like the juxtaposition between the interior cockpit scenes because during the robot battle, which was pretty badass, they're flashing back and forth between Tech, Naldo, and Jude in one, mm-hmm. and then the Prioris and Grandfather in the other. And the teenagers, even though they're speaking in their symbol language, they're all like, you could tell they're like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what's going on? Ship and, left uh, 17 degrees, target approaching. Exactly. They're all all flummoxed. And Grandfather and the Prioris are just like very calm and collected. Yeah. So it was just, and so one of my predictions, and it's probably not even a prediction because it's pretty much implied here that the teenagers and the old timers are not cold. So not because of their ages exactly, but more because of the ideologies that they represent. Yeah. So the teenagers being progressives who want to go back and fix the things in the past that have gone wrong. And this is what Charlotte laid out for us in this issue. And then the old timers being, not older necessarily, but wanting to keep things the way they were. You know, and I think in the past, one of my predictions was that there was something about them being teenagers or that their physical age was going to have more of an impact. Yeah. And that all of the girls in this um, being on the cusp of turning 13 was going to be significant in some way. And I think now it's more of a symbolic thing. Yeah, yeah, I would say... I mean, and who knows? It may it may turn out that it does have some sort of plot impact, but I would I would agree that I don't. I think most likely it won't. I think it is more of a thematic consistency, uh, but I don't I don't think it'll matter beyond that. There's plenty of very young people in the kind of conservative camp of the old timers, you know, right? And, and we see that more in this issue. Yeah, correct. And but what a cool way to explore generational conflict. Yeah, it really That's what I love about science fiction. It isn't it really like like an after school special from 1962 where like the conservative dad comes home from work and he's like, "My son won't have hair that's 2 inches long. Are you <laughs> some kind of girl?" You know, but on steroids. My son won't go back and fix 9/11. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> So I liked in this one too, um, character development wise, of course, we have KJ telling Mac that she's gay and Mac being like, what? But then there's not time for them to go into it any further. Yeah. So continuing kind of down that road that we see, uh, you know, between the two of them. Right. Which it's more interesting to me now, you know, because we get we get exposure to the concept of Mac being homophobic like right from the beginning. Right from the get-go, yeah. But now we know that Mac is at least bisexual. And to sort of see her, you know, we already felt like My Lady Doth Protest too much, but to sort of see it from the other side now, it just kind of puts it in a more interesting perspective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it somehow makes it more sympathetic to me. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and I think Mac 
knowing that she's going through the knowledge that she's going to die in the next short amount of years that she has left um, also gives you a little more sympathy for her. Yeah, I do have another question. We have the scene where Tiff rescues the officer, and she does it by kicking a window out of the car and then dragging this not very thin gentleman quite a considerable distance from the car before it explodes. And then she even references that she's she says, I'm Arnold freaking Schwarzenegger. Like, we know there's something weird going on with their genetics and how they said, like, their DNA got encrypted. Did these girls get some sort of superpowers? I mean, KG's got these I, weird I boots that so. cause her to, you know, she has boots of jumping and springing straight right, out of but second edition she, Dungeons she and Dragons. Found, I mean, she found, she found a pair an artifact. Of future, yeah. yeah, she found an artifact. Yeah. I don't think they've actually, I don't think Tiff has super strength. I think. I, Many 12-year-olds are adult size, you know? You don't think our oldest could... Our oldest dra- can't open up her own her own bottle of water. You know what? She's an outlier. <laughs> that may be true. <laughs> Unless there's a horse involved, in which case suddenly she possesses plenty of... <laughs> I think plenty of 12-year-olds could drag an adult if they had to, if they were... For, you know, faced in that kind of intense situation. Properly motivated. Properly motivated with an exploding car. Hmm. Oh, also in this issue, nice quantum leap reference. And that Charlotte tells the girls that the teenagers are the good guys. She's explaining why they're oh, the good yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. like the Samuel Beckett's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which, Just of course, the girls don't get. Yeah. All right, so number 18. Actually, do you want to read the quote at the end of number 17? I think there was a... Abs. This was my favorite one, I think. So, well, there's one more thing in in 17. Um, so, apparently, as we end this episode, Tiff's house has been taken over by vampires. Oh, right. And I think we forgot to mention that if you turn the page, Tiff asks him who he is, and he reveals that he's her husband. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you married a daywalker? Right. <laughs> Smoking his very narrow clove cigarette. Yes. So we, we get to, we look forward to at the end of that issue. It feels more like 94 to me than 99. Maybe 95, 96. You know, people were still dressing like daywalkers in 99. Maybe. Probably. Well, listen, Tiff and I don't care what people think about us. <laughs> or I should say it like this. Tiff and I don't care what people think about us. Is that your clove cigarette voice? Yeah, exactly. It's good. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Remember, turn your computer off before midnight on 1231.99. Warning sticker from Best Buy circa 1999. Best Buy. (laughs) Turn it off, man. You don't know what's going to happen. Like gremlins are going to crawl out of it. I mean, the ones and zeros are going to get together and realize, why have we been. you know, divided this whole time. We should just get together and make a bunch of tens and then we'll take over the world. So funny. But they could only count to eight. (laughs) Oh, so, okay. Why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Why did seven eat nine? I don't know. 
Because he heard you should eat three squares a day. Because three squared is nine. <laughs> you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> okay. Now's the part. You can of the, edit that out if you want. <laughs> now's the part of the podcast where we tell you how late at night it is. No, it's fine. Number 18. Moving on. Okay. So it starts off with a gun pointed at our faces. We see Aaron and the girls escape Charlotte's basement. Turns out Charlotte's kind of a dick. She's a real chuck. She's a real chuck. After they have a creepy encounter with a brainwashed cop, they make it to Tiff's house and reunite. And they head to Tiff's basement after noting that they're not having a whole lot of luck with basements. Hmm. just as her house gets flattened by a giant robot falling on it. Meanwhile, Grandfather and the Prioris lose the Battle of the Bots, and the Prioris is killed. As she dies, she calls Grandfather by his real name, Joppo. (gasps) She makes Joppo promise not to change the past, even to change her death. So that's a pretty big bomb that gets dropped on us at the start of this issue. Yeah, and so we're we're almost you know, not perfectly, but almost exactly in the middle of this trade paperback. And I think that's probably the biggest bomb that gets dropped. Right. So remind people who, where we've seen Joppo before. So last time we saw Joppo, he was laying on a rock with three giant cavemen surrounding him and a huge hole opening in the sky, you know, uh, leading into the far future, 60,000 years into the future. So... He was born a time traveler. He'd been around. Apparently. So that's a pretty big mystery there. Yeah, because it's not like his name was Kyle. I mean, this town is just lousy with Kyles. It is in Ohio, after all. Like, Joppo is a rare name. And we also had Grandfather, the older version, at some point telling someone that his mother was born in the same year that... It was like 2015 or 2015 something. 2015 or something. The same year that the um, the doctor who invented time travel was born. Yeah. So we were led to assume that he was Dr. her son. Dr. Bronstein was the, the mother, yeah. Right. So does... Um, but the actual mother was Aaron, who was born, you know... It wasn't a, Aaron. It was... Uh, sorry, Caveman Aaron, whose name I can't... I can't remember who was born in 11,000 B.C., so it just makes me wonder, does somehow she get transported to the future and become Dr. Bronstein? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, good, it's a good question. My guess would be that, yes, she does somehow. But who knows? Well, yeah, or did Dr. Bron- but Dr. Bronstein got killed as well. That's right. So did Dr. Bronstein take over and kind of become his adoptive mother? Maybe that was a red herring. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But it's a pretty good mystery we have going on. So character development wise, I really liked Tiff convincing Chris that she is his future wife. Yeah. And him just being like, wow, that's some 12 monkey shit right there. (laughs) He was not prepared to handle that (laughs) amidst his elaborate array of intoxicants on (laughs) new year's eve leading into y2k it's like i did not i didn't come here for family drama 
you know. And we also have Aaron um, shutting down Mac's homophobia. Like that was kind of cool because Mac pulls Aaron aside and says, I think that KJ might be some kind of duplicate because she just told me that she's gay. And Aaron was like, what? I don't care. I don't care if she's gay. Like we have more important things to worry about. Yeah. But Aaron also pulls the athletic feet of the of the volume. They're in the basement next to Chuck, who is Charlotte, and she pulls a gun on them. Well, you know, which kind of how the last one ended. So right. carrying over from the last volume. In the basement that they're in, there's a generator, and Aaron, paper girl extraordinaire, takes the paper and flings it across the room, managing to hit the tiny power button on the generator, saving them from getting shot. And that's some Michael Van Gerwen level accuracy (laughs) that I can respect. I love how the newspapers keep coming into play. Yeah. You know, from the clue that led them to Charlotte to this little moment right there. I just think it's pretty cool. So when you were, when it was the 90s, how many times did you play Vampire the Masquerade live action role playing game? I did not play Vampire the Masquerade, but I played something similar. Which is probably even lamer. You played the knockoff Vampire of the Masquerade it was, action role playing game. It was the nineties, okay. <laughs> so I, I never I never got to play that game. You didn't get to play Vampire of the Masquerade? No, I did not. I got invited to play one time uh-huh. uh when I was in the service by a guy who was this guy who was kind of a tag along guy who was always super, super annoying. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was kind of curious, and uh-huh. I thought maybe there would be hot gothy chicks there. So I decided to show up, and when I <laughs> when I showed up, there were two other guys who I hated at least equally as much as this guy, and then this one very mousy little girl who never made eye contact with anybody. Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm going to be rude, and I just bounced no hot gothy chicks there, huh? No, I no, I had to give it the Irish goodbye and I just <laughs> rolled. <laughs> um no, I played this game I think it was called In Nomine and it was like you were either an angel or a demon and um what if you wanted to be a rabbit? Then you were going to have a really boring game. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was pretty cheesy. But did you dress the part? I mean, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> not like for the game. I was rocking a lot of leather pants that year. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm just trying to get into what your 1996 wardrobe looked like. I want to hear it about the 90, chokers and leather pants. It was 98. I had, yeah. I had a lot of leather pants. It was a year for, for vinyl and um, yeah. different colored leather pants. Yeah, that was right about the time we started to become friends. It was. It yeah. may have been the vinyl pants. <laughs> Made a lot of friends with those pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so move, moving right along. So um, uh, one thing that stuck out to me too are the, the things that the teenagers want to fix, which are like, oh, there's all these disasters that you know Charlotte keeps saying, all these horrible things that are ha- going to happen in the future, and they've come back to fix. And then um, she tells them that it's things like people being addicted to their phones. Yes. <laughs> and that anthrax thing. 
Do you remember the anthrax? I do. Yes. Do you remember remember being scared that you were going to be mailed anthrax? No, I don't remember being scared that we were going to be mailed anthrax. That was um, that was actually not too long after we started dating that that all happened. It was all right after nine eleven. And what I do remember is thinking that the world had changed, like like we had closed a door on something and entered entered a completely different world. You know, uh, you know, as a child of the eighties and nineties, it was the Cold War era, and then we went through the Soviet Union shutting down, and it was like, yay, everything's going to be great. There's no more Cold War, and then all of a sudden, in a period of a handful of months we had suddenly come to realize that it was still a very complicated and dangerous world we lived in. And it was just a a very different set of problems that we were going to have to deal with. Now, I don't remember actually being scared. You know what? I do remember being scared of around the same time though. Um, not too long after that, the DC sniper. Oh yeah. That was scary. Which wasn't doesn't it? have anything to do with this comic book, but you know, we, I especially, and I think you think you would move up to Baltimore at this point. Yeah. But I lived down in that area and, you know, had to go about my life right. while that was all going on. And yeah, I do remember, you know, sitting in my car for a while, like looking around before I got out in parking lots yeah. and things, especially as I got, if I was closer to the city for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I do remember actually being scared of that i remember that too and i was also scared of the anthrax oh you you were actually scared that someone was gonna mail you anthrax because i was that important yeah see they were mailing that to like senators (laughs) i know (laughs) i know so one last thing that um i want to talk about with this issue is the visuals in the scenes with grandfather and the prioris and they're so well drawn you get the richness of this relationship really comes across, even though it's very short scenes, not a whole lot of dialogue. And they're mostly just talking about the war effort or like the philosophies that they're supporting, but just the way that they look at each other and the drawing of grandfather's face when he looks back and sees that the Prioris has been killed. I just stared at that for a long time. You know, every now and then an image in a comic will, will just grab you and you just look at it for a long time. And I just stared at that one. Just, just the emotion that comes across on his face is it makes me want to know more about the relationship and just sucks me into the story. And I just thought it was brilliant. And the bot fight was awesome. Yeah. No, the, um, the relationship between, Gramps and the Prioris is really well done in a very limited number of frames. You do get a really strong sense of their relationship. So well done to the artist. All right. The end of this one, we have actually a quote from relatively modern times. It says, Trump orders government to stop working on Y2K bug 17 years later. Bloomberg politics headline, June 15th, 2017. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I had no idea they were still working on it. Why in the world would they be? Someone had a grant. And it just kept going. It just kept going. Somebody was collecting some money. So issue 19 
We have the gang in Tiff's basement. She tells them about the Decepticons outside, and they go to find grown-up Tiff, who has an awesome outfit. Grown-up Tiff can also see the robots, and she also seems to remember Heck and Naldo when she runs into them. They just kind of run by her. Uh, They all book it to a nearby church, but they are found by the old-timers who disintegrate Chris after realizing that the group aren't time travelers. Then we have Charlotte come in and shoot the old-timers. But the most important thing you missed in your synopsis is that old old Tiff is smoking the same narrow-ass clove cigarette. Okay, yes, she is. That is relevant. I'm sure it is. I mean, to me it is. I don't know what it's relevant, you know, plot-wise or anything. So there's a lot of, I, I found a lot of cool stuff with this one. This was probably one of my favorite issues. There's a lot of, con- this was a conflict heavy. Did you notice that the. No, but go ahead. <laughs> so when we first see old Tiff, she is, and we've been told she's on a beer run. So she's outside of the convenient mart and she's banging on the door. She's trying, it says that it's closed and the convenient mart guy comes to the door do did you notice who that was does that look guy look familiar to you oh he does look familiar to me so it's terry from the first issue oh yeah the guy with the thin wispy mustache Mm -hmm. he's like all your friends got sucked up into the sky let's make out let's make out and he gets zapped up and read what he says you need to get out of here lady it's happening again. I I tried to tell them the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs are coming back. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I didn't catch that the first couple of times that that's who that was, but it's just neat to see that tie back. Oh, yeah, that is. And I, I definitely did not put that together. And poor cat. Oh, I can't really feel too bad for him. They put him on Halcyon and Ritalin <laughs> and Parnate and Boost Bar. And Prozac. So, A, that's just kind of cool to see this like little kind of throwaway character from the very first issue pop back up here. But also it goes to show that the old timers memory wipes apparently don't work as well as they think they do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Man, and his mustache really has not come in. He did not. He really needs to give up on the mustache. You got to have the... Gotta have a mustache like this. I mean, if you're 40 and you're you're still growing a wispy mustache, just it wasn't give meant it for up. You, bud. It's just not. It's not going to happen. I'm sure, you have other fine qualities. <laughs> so, another thing um, from that very scene is adult Tiff standing there with a Walkman on her belt, and it's just so interesting that that that's put there yeah. as a reminder that like oh hey just in the year 2000 people still had like cd walkmans yeah the discman yeah. you know and how quickly technology changes yeah it's true because for a second i was like oh is that like she's using like old technology and then i was like oh no no 1999 i had a cd walkman you know yeah, yeah and we considered that portable oh yeah that was that was awesome wow we also have um a really great scene with young Tiff asking old Tiff why she lost touch with her best friends. Again, reminiscent of the conversation with young Aaron and old Aaron. Yeah, and I think that's the the big character moment. 
Absolutely. And there's a smaller character moment, I think, where Aaron steps into the church and crosses herself with holy water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of see that. Yep, yep. And an even smaller character moment when Chris says, why did I choose to do mushrooms tonight? <laughs> this is the worst night to do mushrooms. That was That's, yeah. that was a great one. So, and oh, I liked Max saying, man. so the girls are talking about possibly hitching a ride on one of the robots to get back to their time. And Max says, oh, great, sure. All we have to do is hijack an invisible fucking Voltron. Yeah, what could be simpler? Also, them telling the girls that the 90s was a rough time for Catholics. Uh, <laughs> but one thing um, visually that I noticed on kind of a re- reread through was grandfather's red dot in the scene where he's bent over and he's holding the Prioris. In every other scene of him, that red dot stands out, but it's very muted, almost completely gray when he's in that scene where he's inside the robot and holding her body. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. And that scene is pretty heavily saturated with blue where if you look at most of the scenes with the Prioris and Gramps, the reds really, really pop out. Good call. Pretty cool. Pretty groovy. You know your colors. I do. You do. Interesting. Another interesting element, visual element at the, the very last panel of this particular volume is Chuck, who is Charlotte, the cartoonist, standing there with a the gun, having just you know blown, blown up all the uh, old timers in the church, right? And so she's standing there, she's holding the pistol. We see the smoke coming out of the pistol, and her glasses. It's the only time you see her where you can't see her eyes; they're opaque. And it just gives her this very ominous uh, look to her. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Come back in time for number 20. Oh, and read. I'll go ahead and read that, yeah. All right, and the quote at the end of this volume says, Armageddon! Year 2000 computer bug will turn machine against man. Weekly World News headline, 1999. So I have to tell you that in the 1990s, my favorite publication was the Weekly World News. Was it? I loved the Weekly World News. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It was great. This is one of the, the, the downfalls to technology is you lose the weekly world news. You really do. Yeah, it's it's missed. So, I don't know if this is interesting to anybody or not. So if it's not, we'll edit it out. But I'm going to tell it anyway. So I was in a language school in the 90s, learning to speak Russian for the government. And I was also a big fan of the weekly world news. And what was interesting is we would get news articles that we would have to translate. So these real news articles would be, you know, given to us and we'd have to translate them. And multiple times from Russian news sources, we would find they would plagiarize articles from the Weekly World News, take the whole article, plagiarize it, and spit it out as though it were, were legitimate news. 
That is interesting. So the yeah, the article would end up coming back around a year later in some Russian, you know, at the time there really there really were only like two Russian newspapers, <laughs> like news sources. And yeah, it would be considered legitimate. That's crazy. Yeah, and it wasn't like they took the information. It was flat out just translated into Russian and considered real. Wow, that's wild. Anyway, episode 20 or volume 20? Issue 20. Issue 20, yeah. We open on old grandfather. Okay, so back to old version of Gramps. And he's looking at a picture of him and the Prioris. Alistair comes in and tells him that there's a new folding right where he predicted, right where grandfather had predicted. And grandfather says that, well, these are the bastards that he has been waiting for, that they are escaping from the year 2000. Back in the year 2000, Charlotte tells the gang that Chris isn't dead. He's possibly might have a little bit of brain damage, but he's probably back safe in his bed. And they figure out that Tiff can probably see the robots because she came through the folding at a different angle. So we get that mystery cleared up. And then she gets exploded by the lollipop guys. I call them that because their staffs look like giant lollipops. That's a, yeah, that's a little on the ridiculous side. I thought it was kind of cool, though. I noticed that in one of the frames, they're not just lollipops. They're round screens. Oh, they're screens. They're screens. So when KJ tackles the guy he smacks her with it and then he picks it up and he looks at it and there's writing on it and that's when he says hold up these aren't time travelers they're civilians oh i missed that detail so i thought that was kind of cool and again it's the big red dot that's associated with the old timers so aaron kicks the guy who fries charlotte and tiff takes his lollipop and she figures out how to use it to power up the teenager's robot Adult Tiff instinctively is able to figure out how to drive it because it's just like a video game. Mm-hmm. And she shoots them into the far future. Yeah, like 2000, right? Right. Because, damn it, we were promised flying cars. We were. At least flying skateboards. <sighs> At least by 2015, if we learned anything from Back to the Future, we should have had flying skateboards. We should have. Stead. I mean, we have hoverboards, but they turn out to be kind of shitty. I mean, we got really cool phones. That's what we got out of this. It's so wild, like what we expected technology to do, but what it actually does. I don't know. We say that all the time on this podcast. Eh, we've talked about it one other time. I don't think we say it all the time. Have we talked about Xenon Girl, the 21st century yet? I believe it's come up. <laughs> anyway. There's no excuse for Xenon Girl of the 21st century. <laughs> it was filmed in the 21st century. Anyway, anyway, the future jump happens right before young Gramps in his robot is able to stomp them. He resolves that he is going to have to wait for them the old fashioned way. By living 3000 years? Like, so what happens is the girls in their robot jump to Gramps's future, but not that's not the way future for him. Oh, OK, I see. All it's right. not that far for him. Okay. For young Gramps. So they, but they can't follow them without breaking their rules. The shortcut, he resolves that he's just going to have to wait 
we assume a long time, the older version of Gramps looks considerably older. So I thought that was really cool because here we now know that we've seen the intense relationship between Gramps and the Prioras, his intense sorrow, and now we know that his revenge has been marinating for decades. Yeah, and who he thinks is in that robot is not who's in that robot. Exactly. So it's really juicy. It is. So I want to talk about the very first panel, the very first thing you see. Okay. Which we talked a little bit about it uh, and hinted at this at the beginning, but... If we look at the very first panel, it's the picture that he picks up of uh, young Gramps and the Prioris. And we see to the right, we see Gramps sitting on a T-Rex, as we talked to. And to the left, in a a picture frame that is an apple, mm-hmm. so putting a spotlight on it, we see three people. Mm-hmm. It looks to me like the three people we see are young Joppo, right. say like 10, 11 years old, Dr. Bronstein in the wide brim hat, mm-hmm. and Wari, who is the, the mother, I've remembered her name suddenly, right. uh, from 11,000 BC. That's who it looked like to me too. All in modern clothing. Yeah. yeah. So, so they somehow went back and got Wari and brought her into... Did Dr. Bronstein raise Joppo as her own? That would make sense. Wouldn't in, it? And and would have maybe told maybe told Joppo that Wari was his sister? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. This is such a good book. Yeah, and it would it's, it's interesting because Wari didn't die, but was obviously left. Right. Back in 11,000 BC. Dr. Bronstein died in 11,000 BC. Did she die? Pretty or sure did she, she died. collapse with an axe in her back? Mm, okay. I don't I mean, recall. Is is a miraculous recovery somehow out of the picture? Out of the question. I felt like her head got destroyed, but I'm probably conflating it with somebody else. I think it was the caveman whose head was destroyed by KJ. Uh I think that she had at least enough to be like, gasp out some last words to the girls. I think you're right. Get to buy a skate pod, whatever. Yeah. Tell my team not to to abort the Uh mission or whatever. No, I think you're right. Yeah. So it's it's highly probable she could have survived. Okay, cool. I want to talk about the fact that Charlotte went from I have no problem taking your life for this mission to do those brutes hurt you? (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I found a little bit weird in this particular one was Chris got turned into pink powder and they're, they're all like, I hope he's okay. I mean, they asked about him. They did not seem like they just saw a person get blasted to dust, you know? Well, they did find out that he's alive. And as Charlotte said, he's probably back in his bed already. I guess the first thing that Tiff says is they killed Chris. Right. So, so yeah, yeah, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm overreacting there. I mean, adult Tiff certainly is willing to up and leave his ass when there's a chance to go back to 1988 in a giant flying robot. Well, I mean, come on, we got to have priorities. She's going to fix the mess that is her life. 
So that was a cool character moment. Um, I mean, I wouldn't leave you for a giant flying robot, but I wouldn't blame other people for it, (laughs) is what I'm saying. Same. (laughs) (laughs) But she's still, but Charlotte is still pointing the gun around. Right? She's a wackadoodle. Like, one minute she's got it down by her side and she's saying, you know, oh, if you don't want the truth ripped out of your head, the next minute she's pointing the she's pointing the gun at Tiff. And she's like, trying to get them back in their in her basement again. She's a wackadoodle. You can't go into the basement with a stranger. Don't go in the basement. It's a bad idea. Better off to just die on the stairs. So visually, I liked the the sign on the church that they're hiding inside. The marquee. The marquee. It says, "Praise Jesus, you survived the '90s." <laughs> So that was kind of cool. I also, I loved the scene of when Tiff picks up the lollipop and she's just got these flames that are back. It's this heroic moment. She's just like, follow me. Yeah, that's the best image from uh, from this particular episode for sure. Uh, we also have, and we need to talk about um, Aaron asking KJ if she's a gay clone. <laughs> so she just kind of puts it out there. Mac thinks you're a clone because you're gay. You say you're gay, and and uh, KJ says, "Well, I, I'm gay, but I'm not a clone." And Aaron's just like, "Cool, okay." I have hipster friends. <laughs> and again, the the drawing of grandfather's face when he tells his uh, pilot to kill everyone inside the other robot right now—it's so intense. Well, and the robot that they show up with. I mean, it's giant robot wars, right? So they have right. these enormous, like, robots that are, you know, 500 feet tall. And the robot he shows up with is large enough to step on yes. the other 500-foot robot. <laughs> I wonder if there might be a physical limitation to just <laughs> how big. Do you need a giant robot make- that big? Do you, is he compensating maybe a little? Why are the time machines even shaped like robots? Like, If you could build a time machine. It seems cumbersome. And build it into its own robot chassis, you would do it. You're not wrong, but. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't know if that's what these characters would have done. Well, apparently they did. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> so all in all, some good mysteries some mysteries answered, some new ones introduced. Um, obviously, one thing that um, jumps in my mind, too, is the the flashes that KJ saw when she grabbed the that triangle-looking yeah, machine. It what was it called? The Editrix? Well, the, I think the Editrix was the circular-looking one. And then there was this triangular-looking one in 11,000 BC, which I don't remember what they called it. Well, one of the flashes that we saw was KJ kissing Mac on a top of a skyscraper with flying cars behind her. Yes, and we also see in that same flashback Gramps holding Mac hostage mm-hmm. with a similar type of background. Yes. So I tend to think those things are going to happen in the same place. Yes. That's actually going to be my prediction is that their tender moment gets broken up by Gramps. That is a good prediction. Good, because it's the only one I have. 
So what about you? Predictions? I think my prediction is along the lines of what we talked about, that um, Jaffo was somehow brought, Jaffo and Wari were somehow brought to the future by Dr. Bronstein and raised as her children. Yeah, yeah. And that um, somehow that caused him to join forces with these old timers. Something happened that that caused him to want to join forces with these old timers who are intent on preserving the timeline the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have some interactions from listeners. We put out on Facebook and Twitter, Hey, we're going to be recording paper girls for anyone have any questions. And we did get one question and a couple of other things that we want to follow up on. And the question is from Katrina Knudsen. She says, do you have recommendations for other graphic novels that are as fun as these? I'm new to graphic novels and found an awesome way to check out the digital versions from my library using Hoopla Digital, in case anyone's interested. Which, by the way, I actually just got that as well, and it's awesome. Seems pretty badass, like a pretty badass app. It's pretty badass. I actually just read, I've read like two comic books on it this week. Awesome. Yep. All right, so what are some other graphic novel recommendations? Now, we're giving these only from our own experience. I know that there's supposed to be some really phenomenal ones out there. We just haven't read them or I haven't read them. So the one I read this week, which was awesome, is called Bitch Planet. Yeah, it's one I've wanted to read, but I haven't. Yeah, it's really good. It'll make you angry. It's it's satire, um, so it, it does make you kind of pissed off at the world. But really well done, uh, funny and scary at the same time. I, I thought it was really good. Um, the premise is kind of like, what if? And again, it's satire, so it's very overblown. But what if there were laws that enforced? the gender stereotypes and, and pressures that we had that we put on women. So rather than them being informal societal norms, right. actually being laws. Okay. It was like, basically, if you get, you know, there are laws against women getting fat and deciding not to have children and all this stuff. Wow. So mm-hmm. it's really good. Really well done. Gotcha. Okay. And also, you know, we love Saga. That's probably our favorite right now. All the Brian K. Vaughn stuff mm-hmm. so far has been pretty good. Why the Last Man was very, very good, and right. it's complete. That's nice. It is, yeah. Another one that is uh, arguably complete is Fables. I, I don't think I, they're I still. I think pre- they're done with Fables. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I thought so, but it just, it kind of it went on and went on and went on for so long that I really wasn't sure. I really enjoyed Fables. I loved Fables. Fables is the first comic that I probably fell in love with. I think that's. Yeah, it's the one least, that sucked me in. At least that I know of, yeah. We recently read Hadrian's Wall, which is a good standalone that we mm-hmm. both enjoyed. I'm a big fan of L. Frank Baum's Wonderful World of Oz. Mm-hmm. It's a Wizard of Oz. It's just a retelling of the story, but I love the way it's retold, and and the art in it is phenomenal. It's a highly stylized, but if you're at all interested in the Wizard of Oz. Like, I grew up, that was a pretty pivotal thing in my childhood. So to to kind of have a reimagining of it was pretty good. I read it to the uh, to our daughters at nap time for quite a long time, and it so, so I enjoy that quite a bit. 
There are several that I like that aren't really in your wheelhouse because they're more on the horror side, but Constantine was mm-hmm. one that I liked. I like any of the Mike Mignola stuff, so Hellboy, Baltimore, um, Hack and Slash. I liked Tank Girl. I liked another one we both read is Chew. Oh, Chew was good. So I would say those are the ones that kind of hit our list of of ones that we've really enjoyed and and had a good time with. There are plenty other ones out there that other people rave about. A hundred bullets. Obviously, the Walking Dead phenomenon all mm-hmm. stemmed out of a comic book series that you can find in, in a bunch of trade paperbacks as well. So there's plenty of them out there that are supposed to be phenomenal, but these are the ones that we know of. As a part of that thread on Facebook, we've had multiple people say that we should do Saga. Margaret uh, Margaret Nuttall Megan Erickson have all said, hey, are you guys going to do Saga too? I think we are going to. I think we probably Um, are going to. Yeah. Especially now that we're kind of hitting the end of Paper Girls until December. I think you could be looking for some Saga episodes. Yeah. It also works out with our style of doing things because you've read it, but I have not. Oh, that's right. You haven't read Saga. I mean, you read the first one. I read the first trade paperback when it first came out. Yeah. And I don't even remember right. anything about it. Uh, so, yeah. So, for all practical purposes, I'm unspoiled. Awesome. Fantastic. I like the art in that it's one a lot. Done deal. It's, it's a good story, too. Yeah, good. All right. Anything else? That's it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, everyone. You can find us on the interwebs at thedukeandduchesspodcast.com. That's our website. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. That's D as in David, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. On Facebook at the Duke and Duchess and on our Facebook group page at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the D. N D group. Yes, find that group. If you are not on it already, we have some really good discussions there. So yeah, that's been a really great that's it's been one of our best places to interact with people. Uh, because it's not one sided, unlike our regular Facebook page. If you need advice, if you're not sure what to do with your love life or the uh second draft of your novella that you're working on, reach out and ask Dear Duchess for advice. At advice at the Duke and Duchess podcast dot com. We are going to be putting together an Instagram page at some point. We haven't. Well, technically we have one. but We haven't put anything up there. So there's no reason for you to hunt us down at this point and follow us because there's anything there. And our next episode, episode 58, will come out sometime around July 22nd. And in that one, we will be covering The Way of Kings, part one of that novel which in my nook is about 180 pages. So it's a chunk. So get cracking. But we've given you lots of time to get caught up. So, all right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.